Good morning. It's awesome to see you guys. For those of you who might not know me, my name is Drusha Emerson. I'm one of the pastors here at New Community. And it's my privilege to share with us out of the word this morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into it. Uh, I'm going to uh, read the passage first, and then we're going to talk about it. So let's get into it. Uh, this passage is picking up in Mark, uh, where we have been. It's hopping over a passage that Russ is going to visit next week, but uh, it's right tucked in with all of the passages that we've been talking about. So this is from Mark 10, 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. This passage falls right in between this sequence of events that happen between the transfiguration and the cross. And it's a sequence of events that, from the transfiguration, were tipping towards the cross. Each of the events that happen at this time lend us something specific in what Jesus was communicating about the nature of the kingdom. In the transfiguration, we see, and Kevin touched on this a couple of weeks ago, this idea that Jesus was the culmination. He was the culmination of the prophetic and the law, and he was the person of God made manifest. He was Emmanuel. His disciples saw this and didn't quite know what to do with it. Through the passages that follow the transfiguration, we see a similar resonance of this is what the kingdom looks like, and those who see it don't quite know what to do with it. The boy with the unclean spirit, and the disciples unable to cast this spirit out. What do we do with this? The father of that boy who says, I believe, help my unbelief. The little ones. New ideas about marriage and divorce. The rich young ruler will be a passage that we'll look at. And then James and John coming to Jesus and saying, hey, by the way, when you enter into glory and we join you, we'd like to be on your right and on your left. And again, Jesus is like, hey, guys, this is not how the kingdom works. And so we see these recorded stories of a setup of a new kingdom that's being introduced. And then we get to the cross, the culmination of something that counters what an empire says represents power. The cross is the epitome of the opposite. And so in this sequence of events, we have right dropped in the middle the story of Jesus and the children. A couple of weeks ago when Russ was speaking, he used a quote from N.T. Wright, um, pardon me, from Brendan Manning. 
uh, Manning identified that he was a bundle of paradoxes and that everything that he has received, he has received as a gift from God. And I thought about how often I read these passages, stories that I'm actually super familiar with, and that in all of that, I see that I also am a bundle of paradoxes, that I find that the way that I relate to these passages very often kind of get skimmed over and passed off as, oh, yeah, 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 I read that. I know what, I know what the answer is. And so as I sat with this passage again, I recognized that it had been a while since I'd actually dug in and asked the question, what's really going on here? What's really happening? The paradox is I love being a grown-up for me. The bundle is the bundle of paradoxes in me regarding this, this passage is that I love being a grown-up. I like setting my own bedtime. I like eating what I want when I want. I like that I can choose to go back to school or not. There are things I don't love about being a grown-up, but mostly I like being a grown-up. And then I read this passage, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like I need to remember how to be a kid. Hmm, okay. I don't take it that seriously. And then I sit with my kids. And my kids will open up about something that's going on in their life, and my mind is blown, even my two-year-old. And I think, gosh, where does that kind of wisdom come from? Not being a grown-up. There's the paradox, right? It's a tricky one. So what I want to look at this morning is really just an invitation to examine what's going on in this passage, to see if there's something fresh that the Spirit would speak to us. And hopefully it'll be a little bit fun. There is a professor, Tracy Lemos, who I looked up because she has written a number of books on how people were seen in um, occupied Palestine. And I was curious if she had anything to say about kids and their personhood. And so this is what I found. What do I mean by persons exactly? A person in my usage, and this is Tracy speaking on the subject, and that of many anthropologists is a human being accorded status and recognition in their society. A person is an individual who is seen as having value, not economic value like a sheep or a llama, but social value, value in relationships with others. A person is typically seen as having agency and afforded certain rights, such as the right to seek redress in cases of harm. Personhood is an abstract concept. One might say it's too abstract to be useful. But discussions of personhood arise generally only in the most pressing situations. Typically, those situations have to do with a person's body and what the parameters and uh, legalities are around harm. Interestingly, as Tracy identifies in this passage, in, in this passage of her text, she actually is unpacking Jewish law pertaining to children. And as much as she could identify, and she starts out this passage, and I thought about putting it all up here, and I was like, no, 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 we don't need to geek out that much. 
But what she addresses is the idea that when she introduced to a classroom of students that Jewish law does not clarify personhood among children very well, they all got up in arms about it. They were all really offended at the notion that children weren't accorded appropriate personhood. They weren't considered fully people. And it seems that personhood came as age was added. And so ability, participation in the community, that that was often how personhood was identified. Now, to clarify, we're talking about legalities. Children were dearly loved in the community. And it was considered um, important to bring children into the community through different versions of blessing. We see this even when Jesus is brought into the temple. And so there was a concept of valuing children and even of blessing them and having them blessed by a rabbi very often on the Day of Atonement. But when it came to children being present in society or being accorded any sort of rightful place in society, there was absolutely no protocol. There was no expectation that children would have any sort of status in society. So when the disciples tell we, who we assume are the parents that, hey, uh, you don't need to be disturbing Jesus with kids. What they're communicating is that the kids aren't that important and that Jesus needs to get on with the important work. And he's not, the disciples are only being consistent with what the rest of society thought. And so, I know, that's not okay. And so what we start to see really quickly is that Jesus recognizes that this is an opportunity for everybody to see something new about the kingdom. To see something new about how we receive the kingdom. Who were the children? Children from the local community, northern Palestine. Children who lived in an occupied country. Children who uh, were possibly infants, um, according to the translation, particularly here in Mark. And Jesus says, for such is the kingdom. That you need to become like a child in order to receive the kingdom. How? It's a little bit of a Nicodemus dilemma. How? We have to ask the question, first of all, what's happened that we're no longer like this? Besides the fact that we've grown, that we've added years. So I thought that I would try something this morning. I would crowdsource this question, especially because we've got some kids with us this morning. So I'm going to, kids, I'm going to ask the grown-ups first, okay? And then I'm going to ask you guys, okay? Grown-ups, what do you think 
is hard. You have to answer this honestly. You can't answer what you think your kids want you to say or the kids in your life. Grown-ups, what do you think is hard about being a kid? What do you think is hard about being a kid? Somebody. Rules. Rules, okay? Rules. Eating vegetables. Yes. Chores. You don't have any money. Don't have choices. Yes. Yeah, right? Yeah. Learning about big feelings. This is hard. Um, it's also hard as a grown-up, but yes. It's really hard as kids, too. Yes. Being told to hurry. Yes. What else? Not being taken seriously. Okay. All right. Okay, kids. What's hard about being a kid? Math? Not being home to cuddle your kitten because you're at school. Yes. Not getting your way. Yes. Having to do things that what? That aren't really important. Having to do things that aren't really important. Yes. Going to school. Yep. Yep. Yes. Having to do things that you don't want to do. Did you have one, Jackson? No. Yes. Homework. Yes. All right, guys. Okay, I'm going to come right over there. Hang on. Yes, Kiani. Meetings. Like this one. fair. Having to have parents tell you what to do every day. Having to have parents tell you what to do every day. And your parents scream at you. Taking showers. It does. Okay, so here's, here's what, uh, here's what I, I'm going to identify. I don't have my whiteboard up here, so I, I kind of am sorry that I can't do that. But here's something that, that I think we can identify super quickly. Is one, the kiddos have really specific answers, right? It's homework, it's meetings, it's showers and math, and kittens not being home with the kittens, right? Not doing the things, not being able to do the things that are important, right? Like, it's super specific because kids' lives are super specific because they're present. They're present. They've just got the now. And as we grow, we tend to lose that. We tend to get into a space that is a space of thinking ahead, looking back, having these things influence our present moment. You can be pouring a cup of coffee and you're already at work. It's really difficult to just be super present. Do you remember when your day stretched out as a kid 
summer days that just stretched out forever. I'm pretty convinced that my daughter, who is two, goes down for a nap, and at night she will tell me, I know take a nap. I, I know take a nap. She's already had one. I'm pretty sure that she thinks of her day as having two days in one, right? The morning, she takes a nap, and then the afternoon, and then she takes another nap, and it's morning again. I'm pretty sure my daughter is living out twice the life that I am right now, right? I think that that is so much a part of what we grow out of. We grow out of that perspective that is just the moment perspective. And then all this stuff comes in. And there is something to being able to put aside childish things. But that is not putting aside being a kid. That is not putting aside being a kid. Yeah, I need to think through, like, how I'm going to get my bills paid. I need to think through my budget. Tax season, yay. There are things to consider. And the bigger our dreams become and the more we step into those big things, the more overwhelming. Because we do think about a year. We think about how our business is going to grow in this next year. And I have employees and I need to take care of them. And so, yes, we engage these bigger things. That's not a bad thing. It's that we tend to lose that perspective that allows us to step back into the moment. Would you mind throwing the Bible verse back up on the... Thank you. We may have heard a sermon on this passage before. I'm guessing we probably have. And I love the image, and I don't think it gets old, and so I think it's worth mentioning again. A busy Jesus surrounded by adults and important people and parents, moms and dads standing at the side, literally holding their babies and having the boldness to let some of those kids creep up to Jesus. The boldness of those kids to creep up to Jesus. They saw something. Having the disciples sound like the rest of culture. No, no, no. Don't do this right now. This is disruptive. This is not convenient. This is loud. And then having Jesus. He was indignant. That actually tra translates he became indignant. And it's the equivalent to he became angry. Not, hey, guys, guys, you're getting this wrong. Hold on a second. You're sending them away? No, wait a second. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Bring the kids on in here. Bring them in. He got feisty about this. I like that. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Why? The kingdom already had come. John the Baptist declared that. It came in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus was making it clear, I belong to them. 
This kingdom that I'm bringing, it belongs to them. And then this is the one that stumped me as I was thinking about and praying about this sermon. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Because it's there. It's right there. But the ability to receive it comes with the innocence and the wonder of being present. The trust and the faith that comes with having to be a kid. So as I prepped for the sermon, I talked with my son Samuel a little bit about being a kid. Yep. And some of the things that Samuel had to say were really enlightening. A lot of it had to do with the fact that kids are used to experiencing what they experience in the moment. That's where those big feelings come from. All the feelings. Just got back from traveling in Europe with our kiddos, with Whitworth. And being on a train with a two-year-old who has jet lag, there's no way around that. There's no way around it. She's going to just throw herself on the floor. That girl's got a set of pipes. And we had a carriage worth of adults who were just giving us the stank eye because, like, what were we doing to our child that she was, like, throwing herself on the floor and screaming? Well, we were traveling. <laughs> there was no way around that. She was just going to feel what she was going to feel, and I was a little embarrassed, but that wasn't her fault, so I was going to try to keep that to myself. But I wasn't going to be ashamed because she was feeling her feels, and I wasn't going to curb that. But we learned to curb that, right, as adults? We learned to curb those feels. And so we get out of the moment, and we experience something that is a lot more like Oh, latent anger, anxiety, frustration. And then you get back from jet lag and you're talking with your kiddo about the trip and you're saying, oh, you know, what's it like being a kid? It's tough, huh? Yeah. It's tough because somebody wakes you up and says, hey, it's time to go to school. And you can't stay home with the kittens. Yeah. And that's hard. And I will be sitting pouring my cup of coffee, getting ready to go teach a class. And it feels optional to me. And I forget that I just sent my kid off to school. It doesn't feel optional. Right? He's just used to being in a space where somebody says, hey, you got to go do this. The trust, I hope, that he has with his parents is that there's a sense that it's for your good. Sometimes that gets broken down and has to be rebuilt. As adults, none of this goes away. 
We just find ways around it. We still have all the same things going on. We still have to go to work, and it feels like it could be optional. And then that pressure and that anxiety come in, and we know that it's not. We can't stay home and hang out with the kittens. And we get really down. And we think, oh my gosh, like, why am I so down about this? Because staying home and hanging out with the kittens is really amazing. It's really great. And we lose that. What I want to try to identify for us this morning is this idea that Jesus saw. What a couple thousand years worth of adults we're going to have to come to terms with in order to recognize how the kingdom really works. And that right in the middle of this passage between the transfiguration and the cross, Jesus gives us, the grown-ups, a key to identify how we receive the kingdom, a kingdom that already exists. We receive it like a kiddo. We try to stay present in the moment. We try to go ahead and acknowledge the big feelings instead of talking them all away. We give room to them. We try to recognize that out of a space of trust, we can go ahead and do the hard thing. Get out of bed, go to school, go to work. But it's out of a place of trust. And for a lot of us, that trust might be hanging by a thread or you might not feel like it exists right now. That may be entirely situational or that may be a theme at the moment for you. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus took the children and instead of doing a rabbinical blessing, which in a culture that barely uh, touched, except within a family unit, right? A rabbinical blessing would include a touch to one's head. Jesus took them in his arms. Big feelings, lack of trust. They were there. They showed up. That was all. That was all. Jesus took them in his arms placed his hands on them, and blessed them. For us grown-ups, this is hard. There's a poem that I love, and I'm going to finish off with this. Um, we've had a couple of images of water, and um, this one also has an image of water in it. But I want to encourage us uh, with this poem. It was written by um, a sister of the Sacred Heart of Jesus who spent her life dedicated to loving those who were on the margins. And uh, those who knew her uh, talked about how she had a tender wonder, almost like a mystic, that she seemed to conceive of the heart of God like a child and carried that with her even through her 90th birthday. But in this poem, she describes 
what it is to try to visit again the place of being a child. I built my house by the sea, not on the sands, mind you, not on the shifting sands. I built it of rock, a strong house by a strong sea. And we got well acquainted, the sea and I, good neighbors, not that we spoke much. We met in silences, respectful, keeping our distance, but looking our thoughts across the fence of sand. Always the fence of sand, our barrier. Always the sand between us. And then one day, and I still don't know how it happened, the sea came, without warning, without welcome even. Not sudden and swift, but a shifting across the sand, like wine, less like the flow of water than the flow of blood. Slow, but coming, slow, but flowing, like an open wound. And I thought of flight, and I thought of drowning, and I thought of death. And while I thought, the sea crept higher till it reached my door. And I knew then there was neither flight nor death nor drowning. That when the sea comes calling, you stop being neighbors well acquainted, friendly at a distance neighbors. And you give your house for a coral castle. And you learn to breathe underwater. It's hard to receive the kingdom, to be present like children. It's like learning to breathe underwater, sometimes learning to trust. A God who loves is like learning to breathe underwater. And I want to encourage us that wherever we are, we are surrounded by a Jesus who blesses us in our journey. There's no judgment. You are blessed in your journey. And so may we again today receive the kingdom like little children. And if that means a whole lot of big feelings, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs>